Despite the best efforts of the Biden administration to declare a victory in the fight against inflation, the latest report indicates that prices may actually be rising at an accelerating rate. Millions of working class people are continuing to struggle to make ends meet, and yet no meaningful action whatsoever is on the horizon from the White House or Congress. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have again Professor Richard Wolf join us for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. Professor Wolff, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. Here from the New York Times, Richard, this came on Tuesday, yesterday. Federal Reserve officials are expected to leave interest rates unchanged at their meeting on Wednesday. That would be today. Buying themselves more time to assess whether borrowing costs are high enough to weigh down the economy and wrestle inflation under control. But investors are likely to focus less on what policymakers do on Wednesday and more on what they say about the future. Wall Street will closely watch whether Fed policymakers still expect to make another interest rate increase before the end of the year, or whether they are edging closer to the next phase in their fight against rapid inflation. Finally, central bankers have already raised interest rates to a range of 5.25% and to 5.5% the highest level in 22 years. By making it more expensive to borrow or buy a house or to expand a business, they are trying to slow demand across the economy, making it harder for companies to charge more without losing customers and slowing price increases. There's a few things about that article and the language in this article, Richard, which is, of course, not remarkable because it's a capitalist-owned media outlook. But the concern is how investors are likely to focus today on what policymakers do, not actually people, not working class people. But the story is what investors are likely to focus on. And by making it more expensive to borrow or buy a house or a business, they are trying to slow demand across the economy, making it harder for companies to charge more. So it's about investors, Richard, and it's about companies. It's not about people. I just got back from Los Angeles yesterday, 
The price of gas is over $6 a gallon now, rising rapidly. The people driving their cars in L.A., they're not wondering today, Wednesday, what things will be like for investors or for companies. They're thinking about how they're going to pay the bills. Yes, well, there's a number of things to unpack here. Let's start with the immediate story. The uh, inflation has come down from a year ago where it rose up to the level of over 9% to what it is now, somewhere between 35 and 4%. So that's a decline that led an awful lot of people, particularly those who work for Mr. Biden, to predict that they had solved the problem that the inflation would come down to the 2% a year target that they have at the Federal Reserve, and that not only that, but they wouldn't have to raise interest rates for so far and for so long that it would really lead to mass layoffs. Okay, that was the story. And that was the story they liked telling themselves because Mr. Biden is worried about the election next year And if you go into an election with rising unemployment because companies cannot afford high interest loans to hire people with, well, then you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. So that was the story. But the Federal Reserve, and this is so important for people to understand, is simply one institution among many here in the United States and even many more around the world and it doesn't have the control it once did. Here again, we encounter the relative decline of the United States as a player and a controller in the world economy, the shrinkage of the U.S. dominance in the world, the role of the dollar, issues you and I have discussed before, now coming home like those famous chickens to roost. Here's what I mean. Oil went over $95 a barrel during the last few days. Well, that rise in the price of oil is going to do a big number on inflation. Oil is obviously still a major source of energy in the world, and production of almost everything requires energy. And therefore, the cost of producing, since the oil that goes into producing goes up in price, will likely also. In other words, that's a sign that inflation may go up. And in the last month, that's what it did. It stopped falling and went up. Went up by a little, but that's because the impact of oil prices has not yet flowed through to the rest of the economy. And then there are other factors Workers around the country are demanding that they catch up with the inflation. They have seen their standard of living eroded through this inflation because their wages didn't go up anywhere near as fast as inflation for the vast majority of the workers. And so they have watched year in and year out as there's more and more month at the end of the money and they don't like it, and they're finally realizing that they do have a lot of power, even though they live in a country that keeps telling them they don't, they figured out that they do, and literally as we're talking, and as we discussed last week, 
150,000 members of the United Auto Workers are demanding large wage increases just to catch up to what the inflation has done and to what increases in executive salaries were given by the board of directors to the top employees at the big three auto companies, and the rest of the workers want to catch up too. All perfectly reasonable, but if wages go up, then employers often like to raise prices. Then there are things that we haven't discussed before, but are also part of the story. If you've wondered about inflation, let me explain, because the media don't, that inflation can happen either because the price you pay for the objects you are used to buying go up, or you can have something that now has a name happen to you. It's called shrinkflation. And let me give you an example. One of the largest supermarket chains in Europe, the French company Carrefour, has a program which has exposed shrinkflation. They're very angry that they pass on price increases or that they participate in hurting people with an inflation. And they say, look, this is partly because the companies we buy from, we're just a supermarket, we buy all that stuff and then resell it to the public. Here's what they've been doing. They keep the package the same. It looks the same. It has the same designs on it. It's the same size, but what's inside that package has shrunk. That's why it's called shrinkflation. They charge the same price, but they give you less. That's exactly the same thing as giving you the same, but charging you a higher price. And let me read to you the brands. Not This is not a complete list, but I wanted to give you an idea of who's doing the shrinkflation. Here we go. Nestle, Unilever, Pepsi-Cola, Lindt Chocolates, Lipton Tea, Charmin Toilet Paper, Bounty Paper Towels, Oreo Double Stuff Cookies, Huggies Little Snugglers, and Captain Crunch Peanut Butter. I could go on, but we don't have the time. That's an inflation that doesn't show up because the price on the box hasn't changed. But what's inside has. You may not notice that you have less sheets on your toilet paper or less fewer tea bags in your package of tea, but you do. And that's another way companies have of jacking up the price. Now, here's the punchline. If you really wanted to stop an inflation, the government of the United States has the authority to do that. We know that because Richard Nixon, a Republican president back in August of 1971, did that. He went on radio and television and said, we have a bad inflation, which we did at that time, and it's going to stop tomorrow morning. Because as of tomorrow morning, I, as president, declare a wage price freeze. Any business that raises the price of anything, we will come for you, we will arrest you, and you'll go to jail. A union that pushes up wages, we will do the same thing, a wage price freeze. 
It was supposed to last three months as a start. It ended up lasting much longer than that because it worked. No need to raise the interest rates. No need to solve the inflation by making it harder for businesses to borrow and therefore they don't hire workers, etc., etc. No need to do that. And yet we act in the United States and I've been saying this now for, for months, we act in the United States that just because the mainstream media and our leaders in Washington talk about inflation as if the only thing you could do was raise interest rates, that doesn't make it so. They have chosen not only the worst possible way to stop an inflation for the average person, but they've also behaved as if that were the only option. So we're supposed to choose between a higher inflation rate and higher interest rates as if we have to have one or the other. We don't. A conservative president did it and showed us. And there are many other examples around the world and also here in the United States of preventing or bringing down inflations without adding to the pain the working class of America has had with an inflation by the additional pain of higher interest rates that make buying a car, buying a home, using your credit card, going to university more expensive. It's a real example of class-biased economic policy. And don't be fooled by the way it's described in the mass media and by our leaders. They are pulling something on the rest of us, and they should be ashamed of themselves. Richard, I, I want to go back to that wage price freeze that Nixon imposed in 1971. One of the reasons at that time, and you and I have talked about this, and I know you've talked about it, written about it a great deal. One of the causes of the basically out of control inflation that was ravaging people in the late 1960s, early 1970s. And then after the price freeze was lifted, both prices and interest rates went through the ceiling in the 70s until Paul Volcker and the Federal Reserve deliberately torpedoed the economy, created a very severe economic downturn. Unemployment went to almost 10%. They deliberately did that to deflate or prevent the increasing inflation at that time. Right. Now, a good deal of that inflationary wave was due to war spending. The United States was spending so much money on the Vietnam War, a war that went on and on and on. You know, it had to be financed through deficit spending. I want to ask you about the function of militarism today, because we used to talk about a peacetime economy and a wartime economy but at least in the United States and in growing parts of the world, including Europe now, there is no real peacetime. It's just perpetual wartime in terms of the way the economy is organized and the way spending takes place. I'm looking at a story. The German parliament began debating last week how to increase the annual military budget to $85.5 billion, which would be a 53% increase from just 2022 a 53% increase allegedly to meet the U.S. NATO demand that European NATO members spend at least 2% of their GDP on military goods. 
Now, of course, the U.S. military spending is a great deal higher than that. The U.S. military budget is, in fact, 10 times greater than what it would be if Germany doubles its military budget this year. But here we are, Ukraine war, you know, COVID spending relief is over. We've been talking on this show about the fact that 77,000 child care centers, that's one third of all in the country, are on the verge of bankruptcy because they no longer have access to funds that were provided during COVID. 3.2 million kids are about to lose child care, like amazing. And the military budget's going up and up and up very rapidly. The U.S. is sending hundreds of billions of dollars of money to Ukraine. And obviously, it's a big priority. Perhaps the biggest priority of all for the Biden administration is war, proxy war with Russia in Ukraine. How impactful, from your point of view, is military spending on the phenomena of inflation? And if so, why? Well, the impact is enormous. And history can teach it to you right away. The reason we had a terrible inflation that had to be handled by President Nixon in 1971 was because of the war in Vietnam, which had been raging in the second half of the 1960s. And today we have an inflation coming right after, guess what? The commitment to send a lot of money to Ukraine certainly made it worse, even if it wasn't the only cause. Now, why is that? Well, the answer is very simple. The United States is afraid, and that's the right word here, afraid to finance wars, whether it be a war like in Vietnam or a war like in Ukraine, by saying honestly to the American people, we want to go to war in Vietnam or we want to go to war helping Ukraine fight against the, the Russians who invaded their country. And therefore, we're going to have to tax you American working people, you American businesses, because we have to raise the money to pay for going to war in Vietnam, like in Ukraine. The problem is, if the American people understood how they were going to have to pay for this war by literally taking money out of their wallets and paying the taxes you have to have if the government's going to pay for the wars it chooses, then guess what? Millions of Americans would look at what they stand to lose in higher taxes, look at what they stand to gain from the war, and decide they'd rather hold on to their money. And then you couldn't fight the war. So what the American government, and it's not the only government that does this, what the American government does is choose not to raise taxes when it fights wars. What it does instead is borrow the money. Huge increases in borrowing. And of course, who does it borrow from? The only people who have money to lend to the government, mainly large corporations, banks, insurance companies, wealthy individuals, pension funds, and so on. So it borrows from the rich so it doesn't have to tax them or anybody else. But when you do that, when you borrow huge amounts of money, that turns into more money in the economy. And that fuels an inflation, which is why after most wars, we have inflations. No mystery at all. And so you can be very sure that part of what sustains 
the United States government's inflation that it faces is a decision to spend huge amounts of money, estimates from 60 to $150 billion already on the Ukraine war. The government is pumping up the demand for goods and services and paying for them that it ships to Ukraine by borrowing and by thereby increasing the money supply in the United States. So you may not hear the connection. No one may say to you, one thing is shaping the other, but that's for political reasons. Mr. Biden would be terribly troubled about his election chances if we had an inflation and rising interest rates and bigger and bigger expenditures for a war in Ukraine that is less popular in the United States now than it has been since it began. That's the reality. And much of what's going on is theatrical behavior for the television screen aimed at the election and much, much less of it aimed at solving these problems in any way other than what the corporate leaders in this country think to be, you know, the best for them. And I I can't forbear on a program like this, which calls itself correctly, you know, the socialist program. I want to remind everyone We keep having conversation after conversation about the unstable economy we're living in. If we're not talking about the crashes, like the one in 2000 and the one in 2007 and 8 and the one in 2020 and the so-called crash we're looking at at the end of this year or next year, then we're talking about an inflation or we're talking about interest rate hike We go from one crisis to another. This is an economic system whose instability ought to make everybody take a deep breath, a step back, and say, instead of going from one crisis to another with one solution after another, which makes you wonder whether the solution isn't worse than what it is the solution for, then you'd say, well, maybe we ought to talk about a different economic system that isn't as troubled and as unstable as this one. And I think what's important about that, Richard, is that when there is instability, and as you mentioned, three major economic recessions slash depression, depends on what end of the stick you are, I guess, whether you want to use this language or that language. But Major downturns in the economy in the early part of the 2000s, then the 2007, 8, 9 recession, where 9 million families went into foreclosure because the housing market had collapsed. More houses were built than could be sold at a profit, and so millions of families went into foreclosure on their homes. I mean, a perfect example of the the absurdity, the bizarre crisis of so-called overproduction and capitalism. Then the next crisis 2020, they call it COVID. Each of these is caused by something and not the system. But as you point out all the time, Richard, correctly, it is the system because we see it over and over again. Now, if you're unstable, if there's an economic contraction and you have, let's say, a million dollars in the bank, you're going to weather that economic contraction. It's going to be you know, noticeable, but it's not going to really impact your quality of life. But if you're $500 away 
you only have $500 in savings. So you're $500 away from a complete and utter financial crisis if you lose your job, if you miss one paycheck or two paychecks. Then instability isn't just instability. It's a disaster. So you have working class people bearing the burden of these periods of instability, which come more and more frequently. They didn't cause it. And at the same time, it's treated in the business sections of the newspapers and in all the media reports, whatever network news you turn on or any of the pundits, it says as if it's natural, as if there's some divine sort of intervention where, oh, another recession, depression has happened because that's just the way things are. And there's no evaluation whatsoever about the fact that it doesn't have to happen. There is a different way. We do need a system. And the problem that people are experiencing when they're plunged into extreme crisis, and we see homelessness, and you and I have talked about this, homelessness growing by leaps and bounds as a consequence. Yeah, this is the system, everybody. This is a system called capitalism, and it doesn't have to be this way. Go ahead. I'm going to give you the final word. Well, I think, again, as I have said before, but I think it bears repeating, an inflation happens only if and when the employer class, that's the people who own and operate enterprises, that's about maximum 3% of the people of the United States. They have the power, that 3%. To raise the price of whatever it is they produce, to lower the price, or to leave it the same. Their decision, they are answerable to no one. That's the power they have. We don't elect these people. We can't remove these people. They have a power over us to make our incomes inadequate for our families to get through. And yet we permit it. We, the 97% who are not employers, who are not members of the employer class, we have to pay the price or do without. We don't shape the price. No one asks us. There's no elected body that looks and says, well, these prices are crazy. We're not going to do it. We keep asking for some responsibility somewhere for people not to raise the prices of the food our children eat, of the clothing we need to stay warm, of the shelter from the storm. But there's no one listening because the people who run these businesses are in it, as they will tell you, to make money. Their job isn't to solve a social problem, to meet a social need. Their job is to make money. And if by raising their price, they can make more money, that's what they do. As long as we allow that system to continue, then it's kind of strange to complain about an inflation because really you've already agreed to a system that makes it interesting for every employer to look for every opportunity to get away with a price increase and to jump on it when he or she or they think that they can get away with it. And we live in that And yeah, like you said, we imagine it comes from on high, but it doesn't. I just went over where the problem lies, and it's well within our reach. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. 
He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.